0: The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Today's show is sponsored by Baker Hughes, who recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. As an energy technology company, they are striving to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people and the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here today in Midland, Texas. With Dwayne Duvall, the Vice President of Global Sales for Water Standard, and Buddy Boyson, the Technology and Engineering Director for Water Standard. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having us.
0: So excited to hear more about Water Standard and what you're doing here in West Texas and beyond. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. But first, before we begin, I want to thank everyone who has shared our podcast with friends and family and colleagues. We have listeners all over the world and of course, right here in the basin. Hi, friends. I really appreciate each and every one of you and feel free to leave a review when you stop by. Just like Gina did, this is what Gina had to say. A special thanks to Gina, who left this five star review on iTunes. She said, The first thing that stood out to me about this podcast is Krista's voice. I could listen to it all day. Thank you, Gina. That's so sweet. Her guests are fascinating, and I've learned something from each and every one of them that I can implement in my industry. She puts to bed the myth that there's nothing to do around here. You can't help but be energized and inspired after listening to this podcast. Thank you so much Gina for those kind words. I am super energized and inspired after hearing that. So thank you. If you would like to leave a review, please do so on iTunes. All right, we're ready to begin. Here we go. Thanks again, Dwayne and Buddy for joining us today. First of all, just tell us how you got started in the oil and gas industry.
1: Sure. I'm chemical engineer by trade, but I've been doing sales for 25 years. So I really kind of just started out in the refining and petrochem industry for nine or nine years and then just wanted to make a change. And so I went into the upstream business. And since really since that change, I started in in water in the upstream business of water treatment and really love it and always have. And so, you know, for me, kind of looking at it from the oil and gas production side, as well as the environmental side. So, you know, for me, it's just something I wanted to stick with. And I've been doing that, you know, for the last 12, 13 years.
0: Fantastic. And Buddy, how about you?
1: My dad had a
2: business that did produced water disposal in Wyoming. And so as a kid, I ended up working with him a lot and working through the summers and then, you know, all the way through college and just kind of happened naturally.
0: Wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about Water Standard and what Water Standard does and how long they've been in business.
1: Yeah, Water Standard has been in business over ten years. You know, and honestly, a couple of different business models, but really, they—I would say—and you know, buddy, buddy was there kind of at the start and with Water Standard. But really, it's it's a kind of a comprehensive water treatment company. I mean, Water Standard started out with looking at desalination projects worldwide, in off of ships basically, so desalination systems on ships for seawater, and then kind of moved into enhanced oil recovery and recovery and chemical enhanced oil recovery. And then in 2016, Water Standard bought a company called Monarch Separators, which is a 45 to 50-year-old company in Houston that has a fabrication shop that has built, fabricated water treatment equipment since its start. So, you know, it's an interesting marriage of different technologies, what we call kind of a one-side advanced treatment versus conventional produced water treatment equipment. So we look at it as a sort of a fully integrated company that, that really does any type of water treatment project.
0: And of course, in the oil and gas industry, water is a necessity.
1: And becoming bigger and bigger every <laughs> and day. And bigger and right? bigger. Sure.
0: How has that really changed over the past few years? How have you seen water play a bigger role?
1: Sure. And especially here in the basin, right? So this has taken on even more importance. The biggest change I've seen in my career with water is it going from purely what's looked at as a waste stream, right? Offshore, it's, it's go overboard. Meet the minimum spec to go overboard. Where now, you know, what we're seeing is because of The fact that it has to be used in production, you know, in the in fracking Mm -hmm. operations, that it's gone from a waste stream to a value stream that people are looking at water as a, you know, a let's say, say something that helps generate revenue versus something that's just a cost center. So that, to me, has been the biggest change over, let's say, the last 10 to 15 years in the water business. And, you know, honestly, with there's so many places now that have scarcity of water resources, freshwater resources that I think that you're only going to see more and more of that, right? Where we're going to have to treat more and more water and put it back. And that's really our mission at Water Standard. And, you know, Buddy will go into this as well. But, you know, our mission is we look at everything as, you know, comprehensively, right? We're taking water out of the, you know, the ecosystem. You know, what we'd like to do is put that back and, and make the balance, right? And so to me, that's it's going that direction. It's slow to get there, especially in oil and gas, because the industry itself, obviously, has been doing things a long time. But you see that shift happening. That, to me, has been the biggest change in in my career.
0: Let's talk about that, buddy, about the mission and, and what you're seeing. What has been the biggest changes that you've seen over the past few years?
2: Yeah, so looking at it from my perspective, I've seen a whole bunch of technology providers become active in the market, and that's given us a ability to do a whole range of different things with the water where the water is no longer really a liability, so much as an asset or, or project enabling resource that's available. And as we start seeing that technology come out, you know, when Dwayne talks about, bringing special technologies into the industry. For me personally, I see it taking us to a place where instead of doing disposal, you know, as a long-term strategy and certainly not anything that's happening immediately, but we're going to start seeing people really bring that water back into the environment through agricultural reuse and crop watering or through direct discharges to rivers and lakes. We're able to make that water into something that's really valuable. And on the other side, as we bring these other technologies in, we're also seeing the price of produced water disposal and reuse go down. And so from my perspective, I think that that's how the industry is changing. In the old days, you, you might try different kinds of disposal because there just wasn't any ability to do deep well disposal, especially in Wyoming, where I'm from. The disposal wells were relatively expensive because of how deep they had to be drilled. And uh, when you start looking at nowadays, you know, we basically overcome that to the point where we're able to create a really clean water resource for people who are considering even using it for just water offsets for frack water. And from my perspective, I guess the holistic picture, to use a really used term, is that we're offsetting freshwater demands with water that used to just be considered a waste stream. And I'm really happy about that.
0: Right, because economic, it's good. Environment, it's good. And that's the goal. I mean, as a business owner, that's what everybody is, is hoping for, right? Is this business something that you see changing a lot in the next 10 years, because looking back at what has happened over the past 10 years, or do you feel like we've got something good now? This is it.
1: <laughs> no, I definitely see it continuing in that trend. And the reason being is that we're using more and more water all the time. So as long as production is up, especially domestically, right? And, you know, we always hear the terms energy independence and, you know, we want to be able to produce here in the United States. And there's obviously a lot of resources there and the technology is caught up and now we're able to do that. However, the downside of that is we use more and more water all the time and we're producing more and more water all the time. So it's hard for me to see that, you know, that that trend is going to change. I think it's only going to become greater. And I think because of, you know, a lack of resources in some areas, we're really going to have to. As Buddy said, we're really gonna to have to look at different technologies. And I do think that companies, whether that be through the regulatory regime, via the government, but I think the companies themselves as well are gonna move in that direction as to what what can we do to make this sustainable, right? Nobody wants to see something going forward that's not sustainable. Right. So I, I think the trend's gonna continue. How fast, you know, that that's the question probably. But you know, for me, I definitely see it move in that direction.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the Permian shale water management and the hidden costs associated with it. What do you see that those here in West Texas can do to
2: help with that? From my perspective, one of the biggest things that I've seen is that there's huge variations in the water that's being brought to treatment plants, or just in the way that you're operating those facilities, water quality changes a lot. There might be a lot of oil in the water, and then at times there might be none. And when we look at how that affects a treatment process, you know, even something as simple as ozone and filtration is subject to these upsets where you might see really high hydrogen sulfide or you might see really high iron levels that just make the water quality that's being produced be more difficult to treat. I don't know, Dwayne, do you have anything you want to add to what I'm saying? No, no, I agree. I agree.
0: What about where we are located? Because it seems like we are we are definitely in the desert. <laughs> for those of you who haven't been to West Texas, we're out here in the middle of nowhere, right? Does that bring on different challenges that, say, maybe some of the other shales?
2: So for me, getting back to it, when you start seeing that range of variability, you know, the desert definitely has higher ranges of temperatures, and those can kind of affect the way that you're treating As the water variability changes a lot, it can be difficult to achieve your treatment goals. And for us, when we were talking about the underlying economics of treatment, what we've seen in the experiences that we've had is that you're being paid to dispose of water. And the times when you're not able to treat that water to a standard that's acceptable for whatever end use it was going to have, either you're going to end up paying for the disposal or more likely you're going to end up shutting down your facility in order to be able to get everything back online so that you can do treatment to the levels that you you know promised or guaranteed. And when you do that, <clears> those those shutdowns end up having a bigger impact even than the selection of the technology. You know, if if you look at the costs of treatment, the costs of downtime are even bigger. And so being able to guarantee treatment across a wider range, you know, along that variability and water quality that we're talking about. You can take a plant and make it from completely economically unfeasible to something that's going to be a big revenue maker. And I guess that's one of the things that I'm seeing you know, especially related to out here in the Permian, there's just such a large volume of water available. When we start looking at funding, these projects are really based on large volumes of water. And when you can't achieve that, when you can't get that much water through your facility, you end up really missing out on a lot of money that you could be making.
1: Yeah, I think one of the challenges here as well, um, (coughs) as opposed to, let's say offshore, everywhere in the Gulf of Mexico has the same outlet specification. Here Every company might be different. Every single locale might be different. The water quality coming in, obviously, depending on exactly where you're at, might be different, but different companies have different specs for what they want to do in the frack, right? So it's, let's say there's a lot of variables here that may be, you know, elsewhere. So there's talk right now, and there's a, if you will, a kind of, it's gaining momentum to try to come up with sort of a universal specification. But again, it's very difficult because every company has their own unique characteristics they're looking for when they reuse water, right? right? So it's definitely one of the challenges that you have to work through here, I think, in the Permian and some of the other domestic shale plays.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because everybody's needs are different. And if you could give me a little frack 101, what is it that makes your water services different than maybe another competitor's?
2: We've looked at treating produced water to do a lot of different things with it, you know, because we have this global presence, because we've been involved in projects that are offshore and onshore, we're not just seeing an onshore solution. And, you know, some of the stuff that we've looked at doing with produced waters on really large projects, you know, combining them in front of a sulfate removal system and having to treat them with nanofiltration, we see the ranges of what's possible for the produced water. Obviously, there's a cost that's incurred for treating the water further and you know we've been very active in onshore markets especially around the shale plays, and we've seen that you know market for water to offset water for hydraulic fracturing is really very small in comparison to offsetting some of those regulations and stuff on our big water flooding projects And because of that, because we've had to deal with that wide range of treatment, I think, you know, it really allows us to look at a solution that's right for whatever people are trying to do with the water, you know, whether it's running cooling towers or discharging the river, discharging treated produced water to a river in Colorado, you know, we've seen was possible. And, And I think I guess that that's the biggest differentiator. We're not just selling one technology that
1: treats a certain level. Yeah. I mean, I'll just add, I mean, we, we we look at water, we look at a system sort of as a, as a box, right? I mean, if we can identify what's coming in, if we can look at that water quality analysis, you tell us what you need on the outlet. And then we will go and and kind of look at it again, holistically and say, this is the most cost-effective way and the best technology fit for your application. So we try not to look at things as, even though we have products we try not to look at it as I'm gonna pull this product off the shelf and give it to you.
0: Gotcha. We it's want, not a one size fit all.
1: No, we want to take a look at the inlet. We want to see what you need on the outlet, and we want to put do a cost benefit analysis and do what's right for you. You can't so, just
0: turn on the garden hose and just start going. No, unfortunately, <laughs> they, and again, it, it
1: goes to a Buddy's comment about the range of water qualities and right. you know and the different specs and the different needs of each customer. So. That's the way we like to approach it, which is from kind of a holistic view.
0: I love that. That is great. Let's talk about the regulate. You mentioned regulations. Are there any new regulations that maybe those of us here in the basin need to be aware of that have maybe changed recently?
1: Yeah, here I'm, I'm not. I'm, there's a lot of talk, right? You can go to enough conferences, you see a lot of different yes. discussions, and you don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. But you know, I think one thing that we're we're going to see more and more. You know, Texas is going to be the, it's going to be the last place to do it, and they'll, we'll never get away from disposal wells, right? There's too many of them you have to have that capacity as well mm-hmm. there's too much difference between what's actually needed for completions and fracking versus what has what's produced so there's always going to be that delta if you will but you know we've seen in other areas i think that it's just going to become more and more challenging and difficult to 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 build swds right so whether it's here in just west texas again that's not going to go away anytime soon they have to have it but you know, everybody knows that you just crossed the border into New Mexico, you crossed the border into Colorado, and it's a completely different, regu- you know, regulatory regime, Oklahoma. So I think that as we move forward, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that, whether it's the fact that you can build no more SWDs in certain areas or B seismic activity, you name it. There's all these there's all this inertia right now kind of moving in that direction. I don't think it's going to happen immediately, but I do think it's going to move there whether it's harder to get a permit, whether the fact that you can't get them rated at the capacities you need. So that water has to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So as that is there, you know, as it squeezes down in disposal capacity, what happens? It's got to be some kind of answer for that water, whether it's being able to, like Buddy said, to use for agricultural use or reuse or whatever. So I think, We're going to see more and more market drivers pushing it that direction. Right.
2: Yeah, buddy. I I guess the only thing that I would add on top of that is that, you know, we see this trend where you have something like, say, induced seismicity that's affecting fracks or disposal wells in other states. And you end up seeing it be carried into this state. And although we're slow to adopt we end up adopting similar regulations to the stuff that's being proposed. When I look at regulations that are being considered for discharges to surface waters in Colorado or, you know, an increased focus on toxicity testing as part of any surface disposals that you're going to do, I realize that those regulations are going to come to the state of Texas. They may be slow to arrive, but eventually the regulations are going to kind of be consistently applied, you know, to the extent practical in Texas. And so for me, I'm seeing some of that in the work that we're doing in other places, especially related to effluent toxicity testing or toxicity limits on water and you know stuff like sodium absorption ratios that are a big deal when you start looking at the the salinities of the waters that we're treating here. And I guess I would just say that, you know, Texas is eventually going to follow suit, especially when we start looking at using the water for other stuff like, like irrigation or surface discharge. Very interesting.
0: Y'all are so well-informed. This is, this is fun. And and it is so, it, it is interesting to hear about and hear from the guys that are out there in the field doing this day in and day out. You also, I know, go to the conferences you mentioned, and you know the oil and gas business, the ups and downs. What is the word at those conferences? What is the outlook
1: sound like? You, you notice know, a great question. It's a great question. So like, I think you'll see contradictory views, mm-hmm. right? And I've been to, I've been to a few, or honestly, within this, you know, presentations probably within a, you know, two or three presentations of each other, somebody saying that the price oil is going to go up just from a pure supply demand. It has to go up and then you hear kind of this sort of negative perception of drilling's down and oil prices down. And, you know, so there's a lot of contradicting views out there, I would Mm -hmm. say. I will say this, and this is just, you know, my opinion, which doesn't mean that much. but (laughs)
0: No, sure it does. Everyone's opinion on Permian Perspective means a lot, a lot, Dwayne.
1: Just the fact that the resources are here, that Mm -hmm. it's domestic, that it's friendly, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to think that production, and, and I would say this, I think this has been pretty consistent the price of all discussion can go a lot of different ways because a lot of different variables and factors, everything from geopolitics to electric cars, right? Right. But the fact is we have the resources here, and there's no reason not to produce, right, here yeah. in the United States. I don't see that changing. The more production that comes in, it might not grow at the same pace. However, the more production that comes in, the more water that's going to be used. So this is a problem that's not going away. I think everybody is still pretty consistent in the view that production has to continue here and it's going to grow now whether or not it grows at you know an exponential pace that's a whole nother discussion i know you hear a lot of term you know a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there regarding you know wall street and financing and you know Mm -hmm. the money that's flowing into the sit to the system however you know again i the resources are here i think it's pretty consistent everybody would like to see production maintain and grow so i think the problems and the challenges are still going to be there
0: right Go ahead, buddy.
1: You know, I was at a conference recently. It was the IPEC conference
2: in San Antonio in November. And the closing speaker made a really interesting point in terms of what Dwayne was talking about with economics. We saw the shutdown of a refinery in Saudi Arabia. and. In the you know normal times, even ten years ago, that would have been a global catastrophe. You would have seen the president on the news talking about the wiping out half of Saudi Arabia's production capacity. We barely even saw any change in oil prices, and I think you know we hear a lot of numbers that are thrown around, like oil is going to go to sixty-five dollars a barrel, it's going to go to seventy, it's going to stay at fifty. But I think one of the things that I'm Seeing, especially in the shows when I hear people talking, is about this excess capacity that we have, all this production volume that we have in America, and the stabilizing force that that's having on the world. You know, we had Iran, 10 tempers flared up. And we didn't even see the price of oil rise. And I think that that's historic and it says something about the industry and the strength of our industry right now, especially American oil. And I know you know, a lot of that's being developed here in the Permian. when you look at rig counts, you can see that this is the epicenter of it in America. And I think it's pretty cool. I think the message that I'm getting from the conferences is pretty cool that we... Are that force? Yeah, I think uh, one of
1: the one of the things we've heard too, you know, I mean, it, it, there is sort of this sometimes a negative perception, but the fact is that some of the service companies have definitely taken a hit, and part of that is due to the efficiencies now in the operations, mm-hmm. right? Whether it be via automation, whether it be via just overall efficiency, it you know, it has affected, let's say, some of the service companies that are out doing doing some of the work right Mm -hmm. so when that happens you get kind of this i would say a negative view of things but but the fact is we are the swing producer right now in the world and and that's not going to change
0: right we're just it's more effective now and things times have just changed times have changed technology let's talk about the permian i know you're a houston-based company shout out to all of our houston friends that are listening what is it that you love about doing business here in the permian
1: Oh yeah. No, I can I can answer that one. <laughs> we just had that conversation <laughs> yeah, outside. That's right. right. <laughs> we were just talking about this. <laughs> well, number one for us, I mean, Midland is like coming to Houston almost, right? It's all in gas based. So when you're here, you know, to, to me it's almost like a comfort zone. And I'm from Louisiana originally, so it's all in gas as well. Right. But the people are friendly, you know, hardworking. So so for, for me, it's not a culture shock coming to Houston, even though Houston obviously is a lot bigger. Right. But the industry win, the people we deal with. You know, when we come out here, it's kind of seamless for me
0: almost feels like a mini home. (laughs) How about you, buddy? What do you love doing business out here?
2: On top of everything that Dwayne said about the people being great out here, one of the things that I really love is that the people in the Permian dream big. Yes. And we go around, (laughs) we come out here, we meet with, you know, 10 people during one trip and all of them are talking about these great ideas to make billions of dollars. And this is a place where that's possible. And I think it's an interesting combination of technology and the people's willingness just to do these amazing projects. But, you know, we hear about all all ranges of stuff from little people doing well to big companies doing well here. And for me, seeing how that happens, it's always exciting to come out to Midland. It's it's really cool to get to go all over the area, you know, all the way up to the Delaware and New Mexico and just see that attitude being applied. It's, it's cool stuff.
0: You see my sign right there to, the, to your left? <laughs> Dream
1: big.
0: Dream big. Dream big. Dream big. <laughs> that's right. And there is there is an energy here. No pun intended, but, but there is an energy. It's there, a can-do
1: attitude, it right? It really is. It's a can-do attitude. Yes. We'll make it happen. And yes. so that's, uh, that's refreshing.
0: Let's talk about some periodical that you that you read or what you know keeps you in the industry or keeps you motivated and and going every day you oh, have we're, any favorites
1: we read just about every oil and gas mag out there right or in publication uh-huh. <laughs> whether it's oil and gas investor whether it's processing magazines and everything else so no we definitely like to keep up and now there's so much information and almost it's it can almost be overwhelming, right? Right.
0: That's why. That's why I often, I always, I like to ask this question because yeah. I always wonder, well, what are y'all reading? Because there is so much out there that it's tough to kind of choose what you're going to feed yourself every day, right? So whether it's a podcast like Permian Perspective, <laughs> or if it's a book or, or periodicals, no, for
1: sure. I mean, you can go on the internet and see different stories that contradict each other almost, right? right? And so it's it's you have to kind of get get yourself through all the, the different information, but. You know, for us talking about coming out here, the fact is you really get the real story when you talk to customers, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's where you get the real perspective of everybody on the ground and what their needs are, what they deal with every day, their challenges, you know, and get a feel for where it's going, where it's moving. For me, as a technical person in my
2: company, I think that there's a, a range of magazines that I read. I mean, I think that there's probably 40 or 50 of them sitting on my desk right now, but Journal of Petroleum Technology, Oil filled Technology are two of the big ones. I read Chemical Engineering Magazine. I, I read American Water Works Association Journal, and I, I also end up spending a lot of time online looking at stuff like <laughs> Desalination Magazine to see where they where they. <laughs> technologies are headed. I had a feeling you read a lot.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, you have some big words that I really need to ask you off off the podcast, what that meant. <laughs> but no, that, I think that's fantastic because we should always be learning and growing in our industry and and just trying to be the best that we can be. Let's talk a little bit about water standard. How I know that I'm on your website and it says we maximize your oil recovery. I know that's important to you. Do you have any final words on maybe something that we haven't talked about that you Think is important that our listeners know about how you do maximize that oil recovery because at the end of the day, that's what that's what your customers are looking for. <laughs>
1: you go ahead. I mean, you, you are kind of our enhanced oil recovery expert there, and I <laughs> You're mean, the I, recovery I can, guy. <laughs> I can add to it on the equipment side or whatever we need. but... So, but you take this.
2: Yeah, so so we've looked <laughs> at a couple of things. And one of them is treating produced water in order to be able to reduce costs during hydraulic fracturing by looking at what biocides are costing and how that balance of treatment is. For us, when we start talking about maximizing oil recovery, though, it always points back to doing enhanced oil recovery projects, water flooding, or chemically enhanced oil recovery projects. And in both of those applications, it seems like there's a level of how much treatment you need to provide. There's, there's base minimum, which is a lot in comparison to other things that you use water for in oil and gas but, but then when you get into that, we have technologies that we've developed or treatment processes that are special around the desalination part of the process and really leaving the right types of salt in the water so that you can get better separation on the back end of a chemical flood. And I think that that's one of the places where we're really special. When, when we look at it, you know, bringing new technologies to market, looking at you know, multi-pass nanofiltration and reverse osmosis processes, membrane deaerators, I think those are a lot of the stuff that the rest of the industry isn't necessarily looking at. And I think that that's something that we're really special at or we're really focused on because of the way that Monarch and Water Standard work together. We've really got people that are good at the whole oil solution Mm -hmm. But beyond that, we really have people that are good at membranes. And I guess if I was going to say anything, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that we're bringing to maximizing oil recovery. Awesome.
0: yeah, Very good. Fair enough. What's the most important lesson you've learned in this oil and gas business?
1: It's a great question. I think about that for just a sec. But, you know, and, and I'll say I'll, I'll have to kind of keep this with water treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to go. It's going to just support what I said earlier on it. The biggest lesson I've learned, and, and again, this is a challenge, I think, we've had some issues with this in the oil and gas industry is that we should be able to do this, that we should be able to produce oil and do it environmentally friendly. The technologies are there, like Buddy said, the technologies are out there to do whatever we need to do. It comes down to the perception of water as a waste stream. That's something you throw away and it's a cost center, meaning let's just make it as cheap as possible versus water's important, right? And so, but you have to have that mindset and we need, the industry to look at this as we need to do something sustainable going forward, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the biggest lesson I think I've learned is that we can do that. It's mm-hmm. there. It's been proven. You know, there's testing being done. There are applications going on right now where we do, we're doing things like this. But as an industry, and it's tough, I get it, you know, right. and again, the industry's been 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 there for 100 years, right? right. They've been right. doing doing things a certain way. But the biggest lesson I've learned is that we can do this, and we can do it cost-effectively, too. We just need the mindset of people to do that.
0: Wonderful. Buddy, do you have anything you want to add on that? Just the biggest lesson you've learned since being in... In oil and gas,
1: I've learned a few
2: lessons that are really large. And transitioning from being one of the younger people in the room to being in the middle, and maybe now one of the older people in the room, (laughs) not necessarily. You still look young. You look young, buddy. (laughs) But as I as I make that transition, I remember what it was like to be young and to have these new ideas and to you know feel pushback from people that were used to doing things a certain way or seeing things a certain way. I think for me, as I've transitioned, that. Being willing to listen to especially the young people that we bring into our team because they have amazing stuff to contribute when you look at, you know, the education that kids are getting in college or, you know, young people, I guess they're no longer kids, but they're able to do advanced programming these kids come out of college able to program a computer to look into a black hole. Wow. And when you start looking at how that applies to oil and gas, the world the world that those guys are seeing and the one that they're trying to make is very different than the one that we were used to doing. And I know, you know there's been a lot of progress since I started. So we, we have moved away from some of the older ways of doing stuff, but just, you know, trying to be open to those things that, People who are very smart are capable of doing, and you know they're very different than the ways that we've approached it. And I think I'm I'm excited about that, but I think that's also one of the bigger things that I've had to work on and learn is to listen. So.
0: And I'm with you. Anybody under, younger than me, I think they're still a kid. But then I think these kids are really smart. I need to listen to these They'll kids. They'll always be kids. They'll always <laughs> but
1: be they kids are <laughs> they are super smart. They're very smart.
2: Right.
0: Fantastic. Do you have, we're running out of time, but I just, I always like to ask everyone's favorite quote because I think it just brings insight to the leaders in our industry. Do you have a favorite quote that you live by or that has helped you get through life on a day to day?
1: That's a good question. And there, there, there are several quotes. I'm, I saw one the other day, and I'll just share it. Okay. Because honestly, it just made me think about a lot of different things, but it just put some things in perspective. But the, the, the quote was, peace does not come through understanding. Peace comes through acceptance. Love it. And I think we fight a lot of times trying to understand everything out there, such as why doesn't the industry want to be environmentally friendly sometimes, <laughs> right? But it's moving there, Right, right. right. And so in, anyway, it just kind of came up the other day, and I was like, you know what? That's a really, really good quote. That
0: is a good one. Yeah. I love it. Very good. Buddy, you got any?
1: I'm having a really hard time remembering the whole quote,
0: but (laughs) that's okay. We'll take a part. I'll take a partial quote any day.
2: (laughs) I just love quotes. So it's basically about taking the next step in your life, and it's tiptoe if you must, you know, but take the step. And I know it's it's part of a bigger Mm -hmm. bigger quote. But anyway, that's the one that is always there with me. Is that you got to keep doing stuff. You got to keep moving, and you know, I guess. Yeah. Agreed. Great. I love that.
0: Love that. All right. We're, we're running out of time. As I mentioned to you off, off the podcast at the end, I always say, Hey, is there anything coming into this that you thought, Oh, I hope the listeners learn about me or about our company or about what we do. Is there anything you just want to add at the end to let everyone know about?
1: Not, not right offhand. I mean, your listeners probably go, this guy's talked too much. No, what they it's like, been, it's <laughs> been
0: great. It's been so informative. Y'all have done a great job.
1: So not right off hand. I can't okay. think of anything Good. I think. That we, means we covered it. I think so. Wonderful. I think we covered quite a bit. That was awesome. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing
0: your time. I appreciate you. We want to let everyone know how they can reach out to you either on social media or your website. So if you want to go ahead and throw out all your social media, feel free. Where are
1: you at? Yeah. I mean, we're we're on LinkedIn, obviously, waterstandard.com. I mean, any questions, really if there's any any question about water treatment in general, right? That we entertain, we that's what we want. The way we look at it is not we, we want to put a product in front. Of, we we want a conversation, right? And right. so, you know, reach out to us on the website or LinkedIn or, or or Facebook or anything, right? Call us and have a conversation. We'd be happy to have that.
0: Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your time. You're very knowledgeable, very good at what you do. I can tell that just by spending this time with you well, thank today, you, Kristen. We and appreciate And we that. appreciate you sharing that with our listeners today. Thank awesome. you so thank much. You. Thank you. Well, this concludes this episode of Permian Perspective. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, a very special thank you to Baker Hughes for sponsoring Permian Perspective. As you know, Baker Hughes recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. They're doing amazing things here in the basin. And we just want to thank them for believing in our podcast and sponsoring. And of course, remember my life motto is, dream big and believe in yourself and never give up. Thanks for joining us. You make it a great day.
3: Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck for January 2020. First of all, happy new year. We have a couple of great events coming up to kick off 2020 with y'all. The first one will be a Houston happy hour taking place on January 16th at the Canon from six to 9 p.m. This event will be all about artificial intelligence for oil and gas, reality, not hype. The event will feature a panel discussion and include drinks and snacks. Be sure to get your tickets. You can find our event Eventbrite link on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook, or in our Motopoint newsletter every month. The next happy hour we're having is our Denver happy hour on January 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. at Liberty Oil Field Services. This event will have a panel of GEOs and feature a live recording of the Crude Audacity podcast. So it'll be super cool. Be sure to join us. Also get your tickets once again from the links posted in our Modal Point newsletter or on Oil & Gas Global Networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. We also will be having a Pittsburgh Happy Hour sometime in February with the date coming soon. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Other events on deck include the Houston api energy general meeting on january 14th guest speaker eric switzer vp global services of baker hughes will be discussing accelerating transformation in oil and gas the 2020 industrial market outlook and networking event will be on january 23rd in houston and they will be discussing the latest trends that will impact project spending in north america including the gulf coast region over the next 12 to 24 months Lastly, the Wildcatters Ball will be held on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA Educational Foundation. The proceeds will go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And check in next month for the
0: events on deck for February. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.